Something that has been on my mind lately is the idea that astrology, like human design and other spiritual tools, is not a what, but a how. I've been wondering if I've ever fallen into the trap of looking at the sky too much as a set of directives to overcome choice paralysis, which, let me tell you, when you're newly separated child-free business owner with no sense of time in the linear and structural sense whatsoever, it's a common thing. I guess it's probably most strongly seen in the way we look at a birth chart, but if you are smart in your use of astrology, which of course you are, since you are listening to the Starry Sky in Which You Thinks podcast, you look at the transits against the backdrop of your birth chart. So the traps is unavoidable unless you are intentional about it. If you're new here, welcome. Star News is my fortnightly look at the upcoming transits in between the main moon phases of new and full and pulling tarot cards for the community to help us ground the energy of the cosmos. The main show drops on Thursdays and I and my guests are here to support you in building a life you don't want to escape from. It's now on hiatus, but there's a year's worth of weekly content for you to check out. As to why you should listen to me, which is such a silly way to put it, I don't like the word should to begin with, and what I'm offering here is just an invitation from a geeky friend to hold my hand and jump into the wonderful possibilities that life holds with me. And honestly, I'm the type of person who could jump into having a deep conversation about ideas and then halfway go, oh, by the way, I didn't even ask your name. But I'm Alexis and I'd love to hear from you. I'm a portrait photographer and not only that's really close to how I think of magic in multiple ways, but it led me to work with so many other creatives and artists, intuitives and entrepreneurs, building a life that they don't want to escape from. And it also showed me just how much our upbringing didn't prepare us for it. We're so conditioned to stay small, please others, never ask for what we need and mean, like we're mean to ourselves, that could stay here forever. Literally, it's my soapbox topic. That and how you all need to stop making Binotomy games your hobby. Play the damn things. And especially Akwaki. Anyway, I digress. I created this space and my newsletter, Wishy Musings, on Substack almost a year ago in order to explore how the Western esoteric tradition, which was heavy on cosmic witchcraft, and a lot of what I share on the podcast is stuff I have encountered in my five years at university, where I graduated with a master's in history, if you're wondering. Anyway, I created this space to explore how to use it to empower ourselves, to let go of the person we think we should be and become the person we generally want to be. The version of ourselves that makes us go, wow, I wish I could split in two so that I could date me. Or maybe that's just me, but you get what I mean. This episode is going to cover from the new moon in Scorpio on the 13th, 11th today, to the full moon in Gemini on the 27th of November. 
this period will see us shift into Sagittarius. So if you have listened to the last star news, you are probably already guessing the direction we're heading. It's time to get out of the swamp, baby. Venus is back home in Libra with the South Node and Mercury has entered Sag of, as of three days before this new moon, which is taking place opposite Uranus. Mars is for now seen in Scorpio, as we will see it moving on to the next sign later in the period. But as I said the last time, this is still a very action-oriented vibe, even in a feminine sign. This new moon is truly powerful time for stepping into your own power and truth, especially as Scorpio rising, since it's happening in our first house. In fact, it's happening on top of my actual natal Pluto conjunct the Ascendant, that placement that is getting more action than I am this core position for sure. Now, this may sound like a scary thing, but it doesn't have to be something big. In fact, I dare say that shifting our identity to be closer to who we want to be is the most powerful in the small things that affect our day to day. Just because Uranus has this big vibe around societal shifts and the collective, it doesn't mean that we are all called to be the tsunami. A tsunami wouldn't exist without all the drops that make out the ocean. What you do inspires the people around you to think differently about their own situation. Think of it like being at lunch with three other people and everyone is trying to gauge what the others are going to order so that you don't stand out and it takes 20 minutes to order until someone goes, okay, that's it, I'm having today's special. And then suddenly everyone is like, ah, oh, that sounds nice, I'll have that too. Be that someone and normalize getting what we want for everyone else, whatever situation applies to you. And for the love of the goddess, if this example resonates with you, please normalize it. I'm so over it. I can't go through the circus one more time. Please, I beg you. Anyway, in the week leading up to Sag season, we have a fair few positive transits. Mercury sets style Venus on the 15th. Merc uh, Mars, sorry, trying Neptune on the 17th. The Sun trying Neptune six hours later, then moving on to be conjunct Mars at 5.41am uh, on the 18th, and then set style Pluto on the 20th. Mars will also set style Pluto on the 22nd, but the day before that we saw Mercury trining Chiron. First things that stand out this week is that the 17th, engaging Neptune retrograde in Pisces, it's a great day to set aside for anything to do with creativity, art, spirituality and the themes of your Pisces and Scorpio houses. Since I started this episode musing about how astrology is about the how and not the what, how can you bring the Neptune spirit into those areas? The Mercury transit also bring up to me all issues of communication with others, especially when Venus is engaged, but also Chiron being the wounded healer uh, the other end of the nodal axis. Whether you believe in past lives or you look at the nodes as just the baggage you carry in this one, which thanks to epigenetics involves the baggage of your ancestry too, you can't escape the vibe. Like that cute snake that went back into hiding in the skin they had already shed 
it was adorable but yeah that's not what's supposed to happen the south node is the place where we are comfortable in our discomfort a rather controversial take around how the nodes do not cover destiny and you need to look at the aerobic lots and that's a whole other topic but hot take here just because the nodes do not indicate your destiny in the traditional sense it doesn't mean that they don't show us the areas of our lives where we need to redress a balance in order to fulfill that destiny if we want to because the nodes are calculated as the point where the elliptic of the moon and the sun interject although it's technically the earth that moves so if the moon sign is the deepest inner us, our emotions, our deepest desires, all of the awesome things that only the initiates of the mystery religion of us get to see, and then the sun sign is our personality and how that influences us and what people see when they get to experience us below the surface of our rising, but not quite as in depth as the moon sign, then the nodes are like the shortcut to reconciling the tension between two major aspects of ourselves and our own nodes are the microcosm of the macrocosm of the nodal transit for the collective the transit shows us the ways in which as a society we can reconcile the tension of how the signs show up in ourselves in order to heal the way they show up in the whole so this whole soapbox moment was inspired by how Venus is in domicile in the same sign as the south node. It's a great opportunity to look at how our past affects our future in the areas that Venus covers in our chart, as well as the two signs. Are there areas where we struggle to be open to receiving, for example? Do we act like we need to earn rest? Are we stuck in not allowing ourselves to want something because it's not something we need? That's a huge one for me, actually. I've done so much work on it already and I keep catching myself in that pattern. Anyway, Venus would be in direct opposition to Chiron herself on the 22nd, but the North Node is only transiting five degrees behind, so it's a strong emphasis on the past impacting the future for me. And this is a great time to bring up any such situations that need transformation and inner alchemy, since we also have Pluto still in Capricorn that is thrown into the midst by the planets heading out of Scorpio. And of course, shadow work and related topics are a Scorpio season theme. So if you've not gone anywhere near your inner world yet yeah, this season, and you are interested in doing so, this is the week for it. The sun will enter Sag uh, around 2pm on the 22nd and then Mars will follow it on the 24th. Both are hitting Saturn in a square within the day of ingression and that will be the key transit in the run up to the full moon, although on the 27th itself we will have Mercury squaring Neptune. But I'll look at the full moon in a second. First quarter will be in Aquarius, hours before the moon will shift into Pisces, and then we'll be in Aries at the change of the solar season. Joining the North Node and Charon, and of course, trining the Sun in Sag. 
So the run-up to the full moon really sees a lot of fire energy going on after we have been in heavy watery landscape for most of Scorpio season. And yes, of course, the moon transits all the signs. We get all four elements activated for like two, three day-ish. But that's like a glass of water on a hot day, a temporary respite in what remains a hot climate. Or in this case, the rain stopped for a while during the rainy season. It may not be pouring, but it may not stop for long enough for things to dry. But this energy is going to shift as we are engaging the masculine signs now. Things are about to hit diabolic lover's level of chaos with a T-square. First of all, Mercury rules the sign in which we will have the full moon and finds itself in the opposite sign, which is ruled by Jupiter, the planet of expansion. A bit of a stubborn one, always looking at the bigger picture while Mercury thrives in the detail. A T-square is an aspect that occurs when at least two planets in opposition so 180 degrees from each other, both aspect a third planet by a square, so 90 degrees. In this case, we have the Sun conjunct Mars in Sag, opposite the Moon in Gemini, hitting Saturn in Pisces, which is now as of retrograde. So, we have a Sag stellium, which is mutable fire, and Jupiter ruled, while we're on a nodal axis in cardinal fire and air, three of your houses will be involved and since one of the planets is Saturn it's one of the major transits that are seen as challenging because the narrative of Saturn is that the transits force us to face what we would likely not want to face. There is a lot of action going on after the slow moving Scorpio season we have had but I have a much less negative view of Saturn who to me looks like a pairing coming to arbitrate among a bunch of rowdy kids that are fighting over what game to play. Also with a fire-air polarity, which is one that brings creative energy to our ideas, and the mutable axis, which is one of varying perspectives. To quote from the Moon Matters podcast, it's about what we think deeply about versus what we pour over closely, and the inspiration lives in the middle. And I think this is especially true when the polarity is interjected by Saturn in Pisces, both because of the planet and because of the sign. Saturn brings boundaries, which means we don't swing to one end of the axis or the other, but we can find that middle. And Pisces being the sign of the liminal already like lives in the duality that we are embodied souls. I don't care what exactly you believe, even just the difference between brain and mind is in the realm of this sign. So Pisces and the Twelfth House are the domain of the intangible, and inspiration and our thinking is one such thing. So for me, the energy of this full moon is one of reassessing where we lost the balance between being able to hold both the details and the bigger picture. And something that is coming strongly in my intuition right now, this is especially true of anyone on a self-development journey, which is likely something that you do since you're listening to this podcast. It's easy to fall into the trap of focusing on the details and not notice how much healing we have already done. We can keep ourselves stuck in patterns of feeling like we're not good enough, 
and we need to do more buy one more course pay one more coach do another tower spread when you have been avoiding acting on the last 10 whatever but this lunation is also conjunct mars which makes it another action rented one like the new moon we just had when this episode drops i'm not a big fan of the pressure to finish the year strong but if you are aligning your life to the calendar year then this is a transition that allows you to start the year strong so this period in the run-up to the full moon is a good time to evaluate things using the expansive massage for a bird's eye view and in the spirit of this axis i have pulled for us the temperance spread from labyrinthus i'm a lazy witch i'm always pulling from either labyrinthus or the tower for the wise soul newsletter Rarely do I use other spreads. Anyway, temperance is not only associated to Sag in this tradition that originated with the Golden Dawn, but I believe it reflects the spirit of this T-square as I described it, because temperance is about finding balance and homeostasis. The spread itself is described as a spread for creative alchemy, best used when blocked creatively and you need help transforming aspects of your life into inspiration. You may resonate with this, but I'm going to take some liberties with the positions. And the first thing that strikes me about this pool is that we have four out of seven cards in the suit of wands, and also four out of seven below five in the decan. We have one nine, one queen, and a major arcana, which happens to be above five. The colors are a mix of red hues and blue hues, which I find interesting since we are looking at the transition from Scorpio to Sag. And the first three cards are representative of three things that we want to transform. And there we have the Two of Wands, the Three of Wands, and the Nine of Cups. Then we have the steps of the alchemical process. For decomposition, we find the Queen of Wands. For purification, we find the Four of Wands. Then awakening, we have the Five of Swords, and lastly, the Lovers. So we start this journey with a card of duality and end it with one of reconciliation. The Two of Wands is a card that strongly speaks of possibilities, and there is only so much we can each of us focus on. The key to the Two of Wands is in sitting with the discomfort of not having a clear direction until the, the three which we have in the spread. So we are being asked to look at the bigger picture and bring in the details and prepare for the journey ahead of us if we take the invitation of whatever intentions we set at the new moon. Alongside this creative newness, we find the Nine of Cups, which is a card of emotional maturity. We have let go of what no longer serves us and we have reached the peace of being on the other side of that turmoil. It's not quite the contentment of the 10, but it's a time when we can look back on the process and be grateful for where we are at. It's again a card of the in-between. We are not where we were before and not yet where we want to go. And the state of mind wherein will dictate how fast we are going to get to that new stage. So to me, these cards really represent what we take with us from the end of Scorpio season as the sun enters into Sag. Then the four cards about the alchemical process as a reflection of the energy that we are going to see leading up to the full moon and especially after the last quarter in Aquarius on the day when the moon 
that will then shift into Pisces. So Queen of Wands in the position of what needs to be broken down in the process is interesting to me because being a court card, it's a more obvious image of our own self-concept. It's a card that speaks of our own personal power and has a more inward focus than the king does. So you'd think this is an energy that we need to take with us rather than deconstruct. So perhaps it's inviting us to see things from more of a beginner mindset. Maybe even rely on others for help. Since the next step we find the four of wands, which is a very communal card. The first stage of the alchemical process is the chaos of the prime matter, where the duality lies, primarily water and fire, where the elements are to be found at this stage. Obviously, this is not a lesson on alchemy, but I think it beautifully encapsulates what's going on in the macrocosm at this time. From the Four of Wands, which is a fire card, we then transition into the Five but in the suit of swords, which is air, and comes next in the alchemical process. So the five is a card I tend to struggle with, which is kind of on point, but it has a bit of a vibe of victory, but at what cost? What I like about this deck, which is the mystical manga tarot, is that there is also an image of surrender. Like sometimes you just let go of a fight that someone else seems intent on having and they may gloat that I have won but it's a shallow victory because you were simply not bothered to engage at their level. And I think this can be seen in the Gemini Sag Axis when looking at what things are worth looking at the details and which are not. Is the intellectual sparring that so many find entertaining actually worth it? That's a lesson I had to learn for myself as my marriage broke down and I realised how much conditioning they carried from my family around how people are meant to relate to each other. I actually really hate to debate. There, I said it. Anyway, the lovers is a card seen to correspond to Gemini, so also on the air end of the axis, and it's a set. So we have gone almost card by card from facing a choice to finding the resolution. So my invitation to you this next couple of weeks is to sit with the areas of your life where these alchemical process would bring a benefit so that it can culminate in a resolution at the full moon that will lead into the end of the year and the new start of 2024 from a stronger place. That's all for now. I'm going to take a step back from the main podcast unless I get inspired to drop a bonus episode and I'll be back in your feeds at the full moon. Until next time, keep living in wonder.